0: Greetings, and welcome to At Home with Economics. I'm your host, Bo Garcia, Dean of Community Education and Workforce Development at Lansing Community College. At Home with Economics is a space where we explore business, workforce, and community development initiatives and how they impact our daily lives. Today we will be interviewing Dr. Charlie Ballard. Dr. Ballard joined the economics faculty at Michigan State University in 1983 when he received his PhD from Stanford University. During his career at MSU, he taught 35,000 students. In 2007, he won the Outstanding Teacher Award in MSU's College of Social Science. From 2007 until 2020, he was director of the State of the State Survey in MSU's Institute for Public Policy and Social Research. He is immediate past chair of the Board of Directors of the Michigan League for Public Policy. He has served as a consultant with the U.S. Departments of Agriculture, Health and Human Services, And Treasury, and with research institutes in Australia, Denmark, and Finland. His books include Michigan at the Millennium and Michigan's Economic Future. Welcome, Dr. Ballard, and thank you for being with us today.
1: Thanks very much. Glad to be here. Thanks.
0: Oh, great. Well, now, Dr. Ballard, when you were a guest on the show a couple years ago, Goldman Sachs had kind of expressed that there was a, at that point, about a 38% chance of a recession. What's happened that helped us avert that recession?
1: You know, there were uh, lots of analysts who thought more than that, you know, that it was better than 50-50 that we would have a recession. Uh-huh. Uh, this was the most often predicted recession that, at least not yet, has ha- has happened. Uh, I think a couple things. One, I got to give some credit to the Federal Reserve.
0: Sure,
1: They have this mandate to try to maintain stable prices. And so when the inflation developed... They had to take steps to try to slow down the economy. Mm-hmm. But I think they did it in a measured way. Uh, mm-hmm. They didn't slam on the brakes. They mm-hmm. tapped on the brakes. Mm. So that's a, that's one thing. The other is that supply kept up. The productive side of the economy grew fast, mm-hmm. uh, faster than a lot of us expected. I think a lot of workers came back. Mm-hmm. I think some workers who had been working remotely came back to the office mm-hmm. or, or to the, the plant, mm-hmm. and and some who had dropped out of the labor force came back into the labor force. That eased some of the supply restrictions. And businesses did a good job, I think, of rebuilding the supply chains that were disrupted mm-hmm. during COVID. So I think it was a bunch of things, but productivity of the business sector improved very rapidly in 2023 and Mm -hmm. that's a good sign and that that gives you extra room Mm -hmm. to keep the economy going Mm -hmm. while still moderating prices
0: wow so it was a a combination of public private sector workforce um, supply chain number of variables that kind of came together
1: yeah i think the one the one that was the most pleasant surprise was how rapid productivity and production increased we didn't know whether that was going to happen. It did. That really made it a much better situation.
0: Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I, I caught your presentation at the Michigan Business Network and you had a chance to elaborate on that. And that was one of the things that resonated was our, our productivity in particular uh, in Michigan. So kind of along those lines, Dr. Ballard, what strengths do you think Michigan has that kind of helps insulate us from economic downturns or conversely, you know, what weaknesses do you think we have that make us a little more vulnerable to economic downturns?
1: Well, uh, unfortunately, I think I'm going to start with the weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is something that has been a, a, a challenge for the Michigan economy going back for a century, really. We used to have a, an economy that was extremely heavily dominated by manufacturing. Mm-hmm for better or worse, and I think partly for worse, uh, the manufacturing sector has not done as well as a lot of others, mm-hmm. and so we are much less dependent on manufacturing than we used to. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, we are still much more into that than the average of the country, I and see. in particular, durable goods manufacturing. Okay. And, of course, automobiles leads leads the way. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing about durable goods, especially a big-ticket item like a car, mm-hmm. you can put off buying a new car. Yeah. Uh, unless your your old car just completely dies, right. you don't have to get a new one. Right. And you can't put off going to the grocery store. <laughs> so funny. so there are certain sectors of the economy that are more sensitive to the business cycle. And, mm-hmm. and the auto sector is uh, near the top of the list of sectors that are uh, sensitive. So we have, going back for decades and decades, boom times are very good for Michigan. Right. Downturns are very rough for us. The ugliest downturns were 1982. That was a, a time when we had an episode of inflation. The Federal Reserve stomped on the brakes. We mm-hmm. did get a recession, but we did get out of the inflation. Right. Um, and then, again, in the, the Great Recession of earlier in this century, 2008, 2009, the year that uh, GM and Chrysler went bankrupt, a very, very difficult year for our state's economy. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, as as long as we're heavily dependent on durable goods manufacturing, that that's going to continue to be a challenge for sure. Michigan's economy. What helps insulate us? Well, all the other things that aren't so significantly <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so sensitive uh, right. help insulate us from downturns.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a two sides of the same coin, huh? You know, yeah, yeah. what we're dependent upon it, is gives us a shape at the same time makes us like, it, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's shaky ground there. Kind of along those lines, what discouraging and encouraging trends do you kind of see emerging in the... Uh, in the economy that should give us some confidence or cause concern uh, for us in the future here in Michigan, do you think?
1: Yeah, in Michigan and elsewhere. um, You know, the the trends that I mentioned, um, strong workforce growth, Mm -hmm. strong increases in productivity. Those are all good. And I I don't have any reason to believe that they will stop. Mm-hmm. Of course, predicting the future, you know, you're, you're asking me for my <laughs> predictions. <laughs> right. let, let me quote one of my favorite quotes from Yogi Berra, uh, the, the, the great sage uh, well, Yogi guy. Berra. He said, <laughs> it's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. <laughs> I know. Classic. <laughs> so uh, um, True. <laughs> you know, I mean, we uh, there are so many things going on. Like, for instance often at the end of a year I would talk to a reporter or go on a show like yours and they would say, what's going to happen next year? (laughs) And at the end of 2010, I, you know, I said, well, I think we'll limp through. We'll do okay in 2011. Neither I nor any other economist predicted that there would be an earthquake and tsunami in Japan that would mess up the whole Pacific supply chain for Mm -hmm. for many months. But you can't predict earthquakes and you can't predict all sorts of other things. Uh, You know, um, (laughs) I look at Ukraine, uh, Gaza Strip. Iran and Pakistan bombing each other, the Houthi rebels bombing ships in in the Red Sea. I mean, Mm. there are a lot of things in the world economy that... So far, in the world situation mm-hmm. uh, that haven't really damaged the u s economy, but there could be spillovers that would be negative for us mm-hmm. from all these things, and China's real estate sector imploding, and of course, we have very little control about these things that mm-hmm. are beyond our borders.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: but you know i I, I think If we continue to work hard and businesses continue to innovate and and young people continue to get an education, we got a pretty good chance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're you're right. It could be any one single significant event or a combination of multiple small events. that just tips that scale in the direction that, you know, could set off a chain event of who knows what, who knows where.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, uh, hard to predict, but. The good news is that in the last year, especially, especially in 2023, but Mm -hmm. even before that, in late 2022, the U.S. economy performed, I think, significantly better than most economists, including me, Mm -hmm. thought it would. I mean, if if you had asked me a year and a half ago for Mm -hmm. my prediction, I would have made some predictions. And I thought there was a Better than 50-50 chance that mm-hmm. we would have a recession or at least that we would come closer to a recession than we have. Sure. But uh, so far, it hasn't happened. Now, right. the economy has slowed down, but that, that had to happen mm-hmm. because some of it was just the rapid growth that you would expect on a rebound coming out of the COVID recession. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that so many workers have come off the sidelines, th- there isn't as large a pool of new workers mm-hmm. to, fill, mm. to fill the gap. Mm -hmm. So I think we're poised for, if we're a little bit lucky, Mm -hmm. for continued modest growth, probably not as fast as 2023, which was an exceptional year, a year that, as I say, exceeded the expectations of an awful
0: lot of us. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. I mean, uh, what you said about productivity, going back to that. Recently, Michigan has been able to recruit and grow a number of companies in the, uh, in the past, such as Altium cells, even right here in Lansing, about 1700 jobs. And uh, we're helping train every one of them here at LCC actually. What do you think the state of Michigan can do to kind of continue to be appealing and attractive to industry that is looking for new locations to grow their companies or, or, or open new, Facilities and plants. I mean, it's highly competitive out there. We compete with yes. South Carolina, Texas, Tennessee, so everybody's just slugging it out out there. Right. We have a tremendous asset here with the MEDC and Quint Messner and his team. I've uh, been a guest on the show as well. You know, what 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 can we do, and what what's what do you think is like Michigan's competitive edge to kind of help attract, retain?
1: Yeah, I I think that one at least potential competitive edge for Michigan is one that we need to just keep emphasizing again and Mm -hmm. again and again to ourselves and to the rest of the world and that is that this is a great place to live right we got one fifth of the world's fresh water yeah uh we have a a variety of seasons. Yes. Uh, yep. I, don't, I, I grew up in Texas, so I'm not a huge fan <laughs> of winter, but when I talk Uh-oh. to my sister in Austin in the summer, and it's 107 there, <laughs> I'm glad that I'm here in Michigan. Right on. And in fact, it hasn't happened on a large scale, but uh-huh. anecdotally, there are stories. I have a college classmate who spent most of her life in Texas, and she mm-hmm. and her husband retired to the Travis City area oh, yeah. because they couldn't take the heat in Dallas. Yeah. So that, you know, quality of life. Mm -hmm. Remember, businesses are interested in their bottom line. Right. But the executive wants to be able to go to the theater. They want to go to a nice restaurant. They want to have parks and Mm -hmm. recreation. They want their children to have good educational Mm -hmm. opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so uh, one thing that I really emphasize that I think we need to do a lot more of is in the sector that you and I are involved Mm -hmm. in, higher education. You know, the archetype of the, the successful Michigan worker of 50 years ago was somebody who fastened the same four bolts 107 times an hour. Right. Simple, repetitive tasks. Mm-hmm. Now the archetype is somebody who programs the computer that runs the robots mm-hmm. that fasten those bolts. Mm-hmm. It's a more highly skilled, yep. and in a lot of cases it takes at least an associate's degree, right. maybe a bachelor's degree, a, a, some kind of training certificate, an apprenticeship, or something. It takes beyond high school. Right, right. And we have, I think, unfortunately, lagged behind the national average in uh, higher educational attainment. I've taken the statistics back to 1940, and we were below the national average then, and we are still below. So I think educating our young people... Now, of course, the fruits of those investments won't be born next week. They'll be born next decade. But I think we need to continue along those lines. And you mentioned the MEDC. You know, honestly... I wish we didn't need an MEDC. I wish we didn't. I, I, I wish. I wish that the world knew about all the good things in Michigan without somebody to make that phone call right. to put together. But I guess we do because yeah. the and so and so you know uh, we, we have to continue to have people who put together the package, yeah. who know who to call, yeah. who can talk with the people in. Arizona who are thinking of an investment, or Mm -hmm. in Germany who are thinking of an investment, but also know the local economy. We need those people to put things together. So it's a bunch of factors. I'm cautiously optimistic. I mean, I've lived thirds of my life in Michigan, and I'm glad I have. It's it's yeah. a great place to live. Right. I think we need to, we need to blow our horn more than we do. I'm a big fan right of now. the Pure Michigan campaign uh, reminding us of the quality of life because that's, yeah. that's a big deal.
0: That's what, what a value proposition. You're so right. Because at the end of the day, you know, we're more than our jobs and, and people need a A life that they can enjoy, you know, before 8 a.m. and after 5 p.m. And you know, Michigan and the Mid-Michigan region in particular—it's beautiful. You know, we have a uh, Michigan State University down the road, LCC, you know, state capital. I couldn't agree with you more, And and I'm delighted that you know it is a team. You know, it's education and and government and private sector and and other, you know, organizations, nonprofits, et cetera, that improve the quality of life and standard of living of so many in our community. So thank you for that. And, and, and here's where I ask you to bring out your crystal ball.
1: <laughs> my, my, my crystal ball that's uh, <laughs> uh, just as foggy as, as what I drove through to come right. to here, here to the studio this morning.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's like <laughs> London outside right now. Um, yeah, so in relation to inflation and interest rates, you know, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, like I said, I know it has way out there.
1: I mean, again, lots of things can happen, but uh, with a little luck, I think that inflation will continue to moderate. The core rate of inflation for the inflation measure that the Federal Reserve pays the most attention Mm -hmm. to, consumer price index is very well known, but it's (laughs) viewed by economists as not being as reliable as some other indexes. Uh The one that they pay attention to is for the last six months, it's at 2%. Mm -hmm. Well, that's That's their target. That's the upper end of their target. Their target is between zero inflation and two percent. Wow. When when you look at we were in the high single digits, Uh uh, not much more than a year ago. Right. um, Bring it down to two is is really good. Yeah. And I don't see any reason, barring something unforeseen, some calamity, yeah. um, who knows? Another. I, I hope we don't have another pandemic, but I can't right. guarantee that it won't happen. Sure. So um, barring bad luck, I think inflation will continue to moderate. Mm-hmm. And that would mean that interest rates would also drift downward. Now, okay. historically, when interest rates go up, mm-hmm. they go up a lot faster than they come down. Mm. That's because lenders, for obvious reasons, they don't want to get stuck. Mm-hmm. And if, if there's been an inflationary episode, that means that they've lost money on some of their outstanding loans. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, we had this big inflation in the late 70s. By the middle '80s, mm-hmm. the inflation had moderated to very low levels, mm-hmm. and yet I remember when I the first time that I bought a house, which was <laughs> in 1985, mm-hmm. it was a 12 percent mortgage. Wow! Uh, so the, oh. the the interest rates are likely, but but fortunately the well 12 percent. My parents bought a house in 1981 at 17 and a half. Oh, wow! Um, so fortunately, the interest rates now are nowhere near that. Right. And I believe they're likely, if we're lucky, to continue drifting downward. But I don't think they're gonna fall like a rock. They're <laughs> gonna they're up like a rocket, down like a feather. There you Th- go. <laughs> that's uh, that's my prediction for the interest. And and you know, I could be wrong.
0: <laughs> but you know, but that, that that sounds about right. I love that analogy: up like a rocket, down like a feather. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's, it's careful. It's measured. It allows for anything that could possibly uncontrollable. It might drift into the economy, you know, so so then having to spike the rates again. So, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Last question, you know, Dr. Baylor, could you share your thoughts? And as you said, kind of, we're both in education, so, you know, uh, this is near and dear to us. The thoughts on the causes and potential solutions of the uh, increasing gap between the, uh, the richest and poorest in the U.S. over the past 40, 50, 60 years.
1: Okay, uh- you know, I hope you'll have me back again because this is, yes. a, this is a topic that we could devote an entire episode. In fact, this is the central topic of Economics 495 at Michigan State University, really? Economics of Poverty and Income oh. Distribution, which I taught 10 times, including each of the last five years of my career. Okay, I think the phenomenal increase in inequality of mm-hmm. income and wealth It's arguably the biggest story of the U.S. economy in my lifetime. There are other big stories, uh, phenomenal growth of digital electronics and so on. But it's certainly a huge story. And I want to contrast the last 40 years with the 60 years or so that came before that. Mm -hmm. Because earlier in the 20th century, there was a phenomenal decrease in inequality. The, wow. the gap between rich and poor got dramatically lower, especially in the 1940s, but really all the way from, uh, by some measures, from the late 20s all the way through the late 60s or early 70s, okay. most notably in the, in wow. the 40s. Is that right? uh, and I think most Americans are aware that there's been an increase in, in- inequality in the last 40 or so years. Mm-hmm. Most Americans, I don't... Think are aware that there was an equally large decrease in inequality before that. I had no idea. Well, uh, well there's a book that's on my list for retirement, and, and and look for it on your shelves in about five or seven years. I hope. I hope. I, uh, <laughs> All right. Looking uh, forward to it. Uh, called the Fall and Rise of Inequality. That's my that's my oh, my fantastic. byline. The Fall and Rise because it was a dramatic fall. How did it happen? Well, some of it was. Global phenomena that mm-hmm. were not associated with any law passed by Congress and signed by a president. Okay, some of it, mm-hmm. but an awful lot of it was just policies mm-hmm. in the Progressive era, uh, the uh, and even before, especially in the New Deal, policies were aimed at helping the the bottom ninety nine percent more than the top one percent, mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm.
1: and in the last forty years. A lot of those policies were either slowed down or reversed. Hmm. And policies have been tilted very much toward the top 1% mm-hmm. with <laughs> with predictable consequences. Yeah. You change your laws to help the super rich, yeah. the super rich are going to do well. Right. So let me just rattle off the yeah. huge number. 1862, uh-huh. the Morrill Land Grant College Act, modeled <laughs> after Michigan Agricultural College, mm-hmm. um, and the Homestead Act, mm. which provided cheap farms for several million Americans, hmm. and you look at the parts of the country that were settled with the Homestead Act, Iowa, Nebraska, mm-hmm. those are places that don't have concentrations of poverty.
0: Mm-hmm. Is that
1: right? The concentrations of poverty are in other parts of the country where mm-hmm. we didn't have that kind of solid middle class uh, then the the antitrust laws and uh-huh. b- regulation of biz- big business to okay. try to control the the excesses of big business. Mm-hmm. Then progressive taxation, mm-hmm. the gr- the progressive income tax, the corporation tax, the mm-hmm. estate tax. Mm-hmm. Those were all passed in a eight year period uh, around the time of the First World War. Okay. Then you got um, in the Roosevelt administration mm-hmm. better regulation of financial services. Mm-hmm. The uh, Fair Labor Standards Act established a minimum wage. Okay. And for the next 30 years, the minimum wage was increased faster than inflation. Wow. Since 1968, it has not kept up with inflation. Yeah. Um, right. You have the National Labor Relations Act, which made it a lot easier for unions to organize successfully. Mm-hmm. And union membership skyrocketed in the late 30s mm-hmm. and into the 40s. Mm-hmm. Then, There was a pullback. The Taft-Hartley Act of 1947 made it Mm -hmm. harder for labor unions, Mm -hmm. and labor unions have shrunk as a proportion Mm -hmm. of the workforce Mm -hmm. for the last 70 years. Uh, There's probably others. Oh, oh, uh, explosion of educational opportunity in the Mm -hmm. early 20th century and all the way into the middle of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. Since then educational attainment has continued to increase, but not as rapidly. Mm-hmm. So we had very progressive taxations through the 40s and 50s. right? And then in the last uh, much of my lifetime, mm-hmm. income tax rates on the, the most affluent have come down. Mm-hmm. The estate tax rate has come way down. Mm-hmm. The corporate tax rate has come way down. And yeah. so all of those were aimed at having the more affluent Mm -hmm. pay relatively more of the taxes. And and that has been, that trend has been reversed Mm -hmm. with predictable consequences Mm -hmm. of a wider gap between rich and poor.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow, wow. Econ 495, we'll have to put that one on (laughs) on the list.
1: Charlie. A lot more to say.
0: <laughs> Charlie, that was, that was fascinating. I learned more in the last five minutes than I did in my econ classes. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. It was super insightful, and I'm sure our guests are going to appreciate that because that really does speak to kind of how we got to where we are yeah. and perhaps a roadmap for how we kind of find our way out of this.
1: And you can tell, I think, from my tone of voice, I like the income distribution that we had 50 years ago yeah. more than the unequal one that we have now. Yeah. And if it were up to me, I would, well, go back to some of the policies of Franklin Roosevelt. Honestly, sure. I would raise the minimum wage. I would strengthen labor unions. I would yeah. put more resources into educational opportunity. I would have more progressive taxes yeah. and so on. Now, I know there are a lot of people who are, who are probably listening and they're saying, <laughs> string that guy up. He, <laughs> he, he, that's he, heresy. That's, <laughs> that's, that's awful. But, but oh, that's, that's you yeah. know, people can disagree, but that's. That's my view. And those yeah. kind of policies, I think, would move in the direction of lessening the phenomenal income inequality and wealth inequality that we have now.
0: Right on. I could not <laughs> agree with you more. I'm looking forward to your book, The full the Fallen rise. Fall fall rise. Rise. <laughs> fall rise of Inequality. <laughs> Absolutely. Seven years. OK, I'm going to set the clock.
1: Pencil it in for <laughs> 2030 or sometime around there.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, Charlie. What a pleasure to speak with you today, and you know, thanks for sharing this great information, how we can work together to improve our state and regional economy, I, I can't thank you enough.
1: Well, you're welcome, and thank you for inviting me.
0: Thank you all so much for the pleasure and privilege of your time. At Home with Economics is a space where we explore business, workforce, and community development initiatives And how they impact our daily lives. This has been your host, Bo Garcia. Have a tremendous day.